We've been studying one of the most important passages in all the New Testament regarding the doctrines of man and sin. The passage is Romans 5, 12 to 21, and I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to that text of Holy Scripture, Romans 5, 12 to 21. In it, we've been finding out about the nature of man's sinfulness. We've been framing for you a whole host of questions which have been asked for centuries about how sin entered the world and what are the consequences to sin. If you remember from our previous three messages, Romans 5.12 has started our thinking about man and sin by saying rather matter-of-factly these four principles. One, sin entered the world through Adam. Two, death was the result of sin. Three, death spread to all men. Four, all men are therefore sinners. Look at Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin... And so death spread to all men, because all sinned. In our last two studies together, we dealt with the first two of these principles by attempting to answer each of the related questions that I posed about them. And for this morning, I'll attempt to finish answering some of the related questions to principles three and four, namely how death spread to all men, and how all men are therefore sinners because of Adam's first sin. Now, to refresh you with the questions with which verses, which uh, verse 12c and d are generating, I'll ask them again. Paul says so succinctly in Romans 5.12 that because of Adam's sin, death resulted... And when death resulted, it spread to all men. But I ask the question, how? How does this sin spread to all men? Even though I agree with verse 12c that this death did spread to all men, what does that phrase actually mean? That's an important question. Yes, that's what it says in our Bibles, but what, what does it mean by what it says? What's the true or real sense of this spreading of death that Paul talks about there. And wasn't Adam's sin his own sin? That's a good question. Did Adam's sin affect or spread to all men, including myself? Yes, but how? Aren't we all responsible for our own sins and not for the sins of others? Or was Adam somehow different than the rest of us in the sense that he was the one in whom God had chosen who had the responsibility to decide for the whole human race whether to sin or not to sin and if so since Adam does seem to be the the real physical father of the human race and because he was the first human being out of which all other human beings come is This the sense that death has now spread to all men? Just because he's the 
physical father of us all? Or, or does sin spread some other way? Does sin spread from my father's genetic makeup, my mother's genetic makeup to me? Or is there more to it than that? Or was it that because he was the progenitor, or maybe even beyond that, Adam was our representative head, that he represented us as the human race in making the choice to sin or not to sin? Those are incredibly important questions, and those have been questions that have been asked for many, many centuries. And I suppose that not only from verse 12c, as I pose those questions, we could come up with another set of questions for verse 12d, because all sinned. In what way did all sin when Adam sinned? Is Paul saying here that all human beings sinned when Adam sinned, and therefore all human beings deserve to die, indeed will die? Is that what is being talked about there? How can these things be? And furthermore, even if I could answer that with an affirmative answer, is Paul really saying that this last phrase of verse 12, that every single human being who has ever lived or will ever live did in fact sin at the time of Adam's first sin? And what could verse 19 possibly mean when it says this, For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made or constituted sinners. What does that mean? Does this really mean that I was a sinner in Adam? Or is it that his sin simply made me a sinner? And therefore, what kind of sinner? Like him? Unlike him? Did it make me sin because now I have a nature to sin? Or did it simply make me capable of sinning? Or both? Does all this mean that Adam was indeed my representative head, at least in some sense? Again, very, very important, provocative questions. And you know, there are even some more. If you think it through even more, you would say, if in truth I wasn't physically or mentally or spiritually even there in the Garden of Eden, how could God really and truly hold me accountable for something that Adam did. Doesn't Scripture teach otherwise? Doesn't Scripture teach that we're all responsible for our own sins? And even if Romans 5.12 was somehow mysteriously saying that I was there when Adam first sinned, and that I sinned in and with him, doesn't that seem inherently and patently unfair? I wasn't even there. Doesn't this call into question the character of God? What's he doing? Is he sort of playing a game that says, well, Adam sinned, and so everybody who comes after him uh, sinned in him and with him? What, what does that mean with regard to fairness? And speaking of that, what about those babies who die in infancy? Are they sinning in Adam from the moment of their birth? They don't seem to do anything consciously, volitionally to sin. And what about the mentally handicapped? What about them? Are they condemned in Adam as well? Or what about those who've never heard of the gospel of Christ? If they sinned in the likeness of Adam as well, and uh, are they going to be condemned, especially like us? Especially like us in our country who have repeatedly heard the gospel and consciously over and over have rejected it so many of our fellow citizens, what do we make of these things? Well, you can see that there are 
some very, very good questions that we want to try to tackle this morning. And the first thing we need to establish is putting really the latter part of verse 12 together. Let's put it together to try to answer some of these questions. Both verse 12 C and D. So death spread to all men because all sin. That's where we are. That's where we are in our study. Let's see if we can put those together and unpack them a little bit. What does that really mean? I mean, that's the debating section right there. So death spread to all men because all sinned. What does that mean? Well, the first thing that we need to establish from the text is the fact that Paul definitely says that death was brought to Adam because of his first sin. That's in verse 12b that we covered last time. You see it? And death through sin. And if you take that principle, which we covered last time, we now have Paul stating another principle in verse 12c. And so, don't miss that, and so death spread to all men. You see that little word so there? Hutos could also be translated thus, in this way, death spread to all men. That's a legitimate translation. So, in this very way, in the very way that Adam sinned and brought death, this death spread to all men. So Paul is saying it was definitely through Adam's sin that death came about as a result of his first sin. And the world now experiences the same exact death which we covered last time. Death, what kind of death? Physical death, spiritual death, eternal death. That's what the world received. And that answers the question that we posed, wasn't Adam's sin his own? No, it wasn't merely his own. It was our sin also. We simply must see this sense of the verse in teaching that all mankind have sinned in this way. We have to see it that way because that is precisely what Paul says here. Now look at verse 12d. So, thus in this way, death spread to all because all sinned. I mean, even the idea behind the word because has been debated, and you can see why. So death spread to all men because all sinned. Because all sinned? We weren't even there. How could it be this way? It can be this way because even that word sinned, Hey, Martin, it's a further evidence that mankind was there because it's a completed past action. And so if Paul says all sinned, that means that it was something that was done in the past in a completed way with continuing results. It happened. It happened that all sinned in Adam. It was a fact. It was a historical fact. Completed. Done. But I really haven't Solved a whole lot yet, have I? If I were to agree with you, Pastor, that this is what happened, what does it mean? How did it happen? And that, frankly, takes us right back exactly how I earlier posed those questions of some who say things like this. Well, wasn't Adam's sin his own sin? How could Adam's sin affect me, spread to me? And I acknowledge to you that that is definitely where the rub comes in. 
Because our human heart wants to say, Adam did what he did and that has absolutely nothing to do with me. But you still have to answer what the Word of God says. And Paul says, all sinned in Adam. Death spread to all men. In the same way, Adam sinned and it spread from his death to our death. Because all sinned. But how? Well, let me see if I can answer some of these probing questions here. When you've worked your way through all the various options and all of the various readings that could be done on the question of how, how did this death spread to all men? How is it that all sinned in Adam? You frankly can throw out most of the options because they're really not options at all because they really don't address the issue of Paul's very words here in Romans 5.12. They don't even interact, most of them, with the text. And that's what we're doing. And so we want to propose a couple of different ones that Orthodox, Reformed theologians have ultimately tried to answer. Two primary ways through the centuries. And I want you to take out a pen and paper because you're going to need to follow along with me. If you want to be a theologian, how many of you want to be a theologian? You know what a theologian is? Not everybody, you raised your hands now. You know what a theologian is? You say, that's that guy that sits in that ivory tower who pontificates after he's come out of that stuffy room. No, that's not what it is. A theologian, by very definition of the word, is someone who wants to know about God. Theos, God. Logian, study. Theologian, somebody who wants to study about God. How many of you now want to be a theologian? Uh Aha, more hands are raised. That's a good answer class. Everybody needs to be a theologian, and you need to interact with these things because, not only evangelistically, but when you come to the place of trying to to come to grips with your own answer to this question, what do you believe about man and sin? Isn't that the most probing question of the universe? what, what What is this doctrine of man and sin, and how does this relate to the doctrine of God? What did God declare about me? What did I do? What did Adam do? These are fundamental, crucial questions. And there are really two primary ways that theologians have tried to answer that, at least from the Reformed perspective. Now, I say that these are some of the the two primary ways among Orthodox theologians. There are, of course, those of the Arminian persuasion who hold that even though Adam sinned and that all human beings are indeed sinners... They don't make the connection between the two. That is that mankind is not held guilty per se because of Adam's sin. Well, that doesn't interact with the text either, and so we can dismiss that out of hand. Outside of that unacceptable view, there really are two. And you remember that I also also, last time discounted another view. That's called Pelagianism from Pelagius. He was a 5th century British monk who started living in Rome, ultimately ended in Palestine, and he posited another view. You remember what his view was? He just denied original sin altogether. He said there was absolutely no connection between Adam's sin and ourselves. Adam's sin didn't affect the human race in any way whatsoever, and that Adam's sin only affected himself alone. But did you realize that Pelagius, which I didn't say last time, along with one of his chief followers, Celestius, were condemned along with their followers. They were condemned as heretics. Two different church councils, the Church Council of Carthage in 418 and the Council of Ephesus in 431. 
And I bring this up not because there's any major contemporary view within Christendom right now as this, although there are some notable liberal theologians like Emil Bruner of the past and maybe even some British exegetes like James Denny and C.K. Barrett who would certainly say not what we're going to say this morning about Adam's sin. And there are some of those around. But virtually all of the known world who are non-Christians would be Pelagian. They would doubt any connection between Adam's sin and our sin. In fact, even if they were to say Adam was a real person in the first place. See, the vast majority of our world absolutely refutes what Paul is teaching right here. And they would laugh at the notion that Adam's sin has affected the human race in absolutely any way whatsoever. Now, they might say, like C.K. Barrett does, that sin is conceived as a real thing. It's an active agency in the world. And they would draw some conclusions about the idea that, yes, there is sin in the world. Yes, it's obvious that somebody out there is sinning. Usually they say, but not me. Or if they do, they categorize it and say, yes, well, I sin in these ways, but I don't sin in the bigger ways, the big sins. But they would certainly be Pelagian in the sense that they would say, I don't agree with that verse at all. I don't agree with Christian teaching. I don't agree with theology that suggests that there is, in fact, a human race who has been in sin from the very beginning, and that as a result of Adam's first sin. No, 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 no. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that at all. But today, we must teach what the Bible says right here. That all mankind is born into sin because of Adam's first sin. Our first parents sinned and plunged us all into sin. That's the plain meaning of this text. Having said that, I want to give you these two Reformed views this morning. One is called the realistic view. The realistic view. And the second is called the representative view. I'm going to teach you what those are this morning. Because those are the chief ways that people have tried to understand this very difficult passage. Now this particular view, the realistic view, the first one I'm going to mention, (coughs) means specifically that it takes place that all human beings were in the loins, as it were, of Adam when he sinned. That's what they say. That's why it's chiefly called the realistic view, because they believe that we were realistically there when Adam sinned. We sinned in Adam, and we sinned with Adam. So far, so good. But they go on to say, however... Here's what the realistic view is. They go farther than that. They say, in other words, that we were in Adam, not in an individualized sense, but as a part of the corporate whole of humanity. That we were there. We weren't there as persons. You now, of course, represent by your flesh and your heart and mind, both the material and immaterial part of you. You represent a single individual person. And you weren't there in Adam's sin in that sense, but you were there. You were there as a part of being the corporate humanity, as we are all a part of the corporate humanity. And that's the realistic view. I was there. I was really there. Not in the individualized sense, but I was there. 
I was there in Adam. Now, why would that be a very, very popular and inviting kind of view to explain what Paul says here in Romans 5.12? Well, it would be popular and inviting because it gets around the difficulty of someone saying, but I wasn't there. But I wasn't there. Theologians say, oh, but you were. Not in the individualized sense, but you were there. Realistically, Adam was the person who personified all human beings, and all human beings were there in Adam, co-sinning with Adam when he sinned. That's that realistic view. Everyone has therefore broken a definite command of God. In fact, the very one that Adam himself broke because we were there. That's the nature of the fall of mankind. That's how they explain it. We co-sinned with him because we were in him. The sin of Adam was the collective sin of the human race. Now that seems very inviting when you read Romans 5.12. And death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Past tense, completed action, all sin in Adam, you were there. Now you didn't realize you were there, but you were there. Now even... From a strictly physical viewpoint, I don't have any problem with that view. I don't have any problem with that in that sense, from a physical viewpoint. Because Adam is the one who was the physical progenitor of the human race. He indeed was the person who started all of this going. And if Adam wasn't there, you wouldn't be there, I wouldn't be here. That's right, that's true. We were there, realistically speaking in the loins of Adam in that sense. And that's the way some of these theologians attempt to answer that question. And they attempt then, because of that, to answer some of those questions that I posed earlier. For instance, since Adam does seem to be the real physical father of the human race, and because he was the first human being out of which all other human beings come, is this the sense that death has now spread to all men? And those with the realistic view would say, yes, that's that sense. That's right. That's a yes answer to that question. And how about this question? Aren't we all responsible for our own sins and not for the sins of others? They would say, but you were there. You did sin. The culpability is a part of the whole of humanity. Not just Adam. It was you yourself as well. And that's the realistic view. In fact, one of their writers says this, We were all men co-sinners with Adam in the fullest sense of the word. That's what they say. Now that, of course, is something that we have to chew on for a bit. In fact, Augustine, the great saint of old, he wrote this about this particular view. This is what he said, For we were all in that one man since we all were that one man who fell into sin. Notice what he said? We were all in that one man, since we all were that one man who fell into sin. For not yet was the particular form created and distributed to us in which we as individuals were to live, but already the seminal nature was there from which we were to be propagated. And this being vitiated by sin and bound by the chain of death and justly condemned, man could not be born of man in any other state. 
So you were there. I was there. We were in the loins of Adam. Do you remember Paul saying in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, As in Adam all die. See, we're all in Adam. We were there. Not individualized, but we were there as a corporate entity, a corporate whole. And they might even appeal to another verse. Look in your Bibles at Hebrews chapter 7. Maybe they would say about Hebrews chapter 7, hey, here's some biblical support for this idea. This is a fascinating passage, by the way. Hebrews chapter 7, look down at verse 9. One might even say, Hebrews 7, 9, that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still, notice this, in the loins of his ancestor, that is Abraham, when Melchizedek met him, met Abraham. Boy, isn't that fascinating? Here, it's talking about Levi, who was as yet unborn, being in the loins of Abraham, his great-grandfather. But it says that Levi was actually the one, through Abraham, paying tithes to Melchizedek. Isn't that interesting? Even though there's probably, as some estimates say, 180 years between Abraham and Levi, his great-grandson. And yet it says here that he was in the loins of of his ancestor Abraham when Melchizedek met him. Boy, isn't that fascinating? Is that a proper view then, this realistic view? Some would even say this. You see, with this view, this view of realism, that must have been the reason why Jesus had to have been born with no earthly father, because sin is actually passed on to each successive generation through the seminal fluid of the father. Jesus couldn't have had an earthly father who was therefore a sinful father for he would have been in the loins of Joseph. Couldn't have been. Jesus couldn't have had that. But I ask you to think about that for a moment. How could that be? I mean, really, among a couple of different problems with that view is, of course, the difficulty with the concept of mixing spiritual realities and physical ones. See, that's the real difficulty with this idea of the loins of Adam in the realistic sense. Adam's sin, and therefore everybody's male sinfulness, is a spiritual reality, isn't it, in its essence? It's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual dynamic. And it has to be passed on to our children from more than just the seminal fluid of your ancestors. And that's sort of mixing the ideas there. That's saying that somehow the sinfulness is, is bound up in the seminal fluid of a person. It's far more than that. The sin is not in the fluid. No one's denying, certainly not me, that there's a definite a physical, biological, seminal connection between Adam and every other person who came from Adam in this world. That's obvious. And that's the part that I agree with, with this view. It's obvious that we are from Adam. It's obvious that we had a physical connection to Adam. There's no doubt about that. And there's no doubt about the fact that characteristically and genetically we come from those who were before us. There's no question about that. But the issue is, if that's a physical reality, where does the spiritual reality of sinfulness come in? Where's the connection there? Is this what Paul is saying in Romans 5.12? Because all sinned 
In the sense that Adam sinned and is a physical creature with now sinfully stained seminal fluid, that that now is passed on through all of the generations, that every father cohabitates with his wife and produces a child, that that's the essence of the sinful stream of humanity? Is that it? Is it combined with the idea that we were there in Adam, co-sinning with him? Is that the right sense of what Paul's talking about here? I think not. I don't think that's the right view. I think you have some difficulty with that. The question is grappling with the idea of how that sin is passed down, and I don't think that's a sufficient one. Even when you look at Jesus and the issue there, Jesus, of course, did have to be born without a human father and by the Holy Spirit in the virgin's womb, but it was because of the sinfulness of mankind in general, not because of the essence of sin contained in Joseph's seminal fluid. That's not the proper view. Scripture doesn't say that. That's not... The issue there. Sin is generally the issue. Jesus could not have been tainted by sin in general. And that's why there was a Holy Spirit infusion into the womb of Mary. And that's why he had no human father, among many other reasons. So the answer to this original sin is not just the issue that it was biological or physical. I don't deny that that has its place in the issue of the sinful heart and the sinful generation of man. But that just doesn't do it for me. And you know why I would also say that that representative view does not do it for me? Because when they say that we are co-sinners in Adam, that is mixing two different modes of sinfulness. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, the fact of the matter is, even though it's an inviting kind of view, I wasn't there personally and volitionally to sin in Adam. Oh, I may have sinned in and with him in one sense, and we'll talk about that later, but I wasn't there personally and volitionally like Adam was there personally and volitionally. That's two different modes of sinning. That's two different kinds of sinning. Adam had an expressed command by God that he was not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day he ate of that he would die. He heard that directly from the voice of God himself. I didn't hear that. I didn't personally, volitionally sin in the way that Adam sinned. So it's not true to say that I was a co-sinner with Adam personally and volitionally. That doesn't help me try to understand this passage. And boy, this passage needs understanding. Because the crux of it is the all-important way we talk to people about sinfulness. Not just their own personal sin, not just their own volitional sin, but about sin in the world. You, you look at a disaster like has been happening in South Asia. And one of the answers to that question is that sin has entered our world. Including the sin of the cosmos. Including the sin of the angelic realm including the sin that besets all of creation, including those natural, quote-unquote, disasters that people like to talk about. Sin has entered our world. And because it's entered our world in a devastating way, things like that happen. And God engineers those things to warn us and to tell us of the impending judgment to come. I mean, it's one thing to die physically at the hands of a tsunami. It's another thing to stand before a holy God and give an account for your life spiritually. 
We've got to understand some of this. We've got to be able to come to grips with how this sin entered our world. And we can begin to understand how sin entered the cosmos and how sin entered the angelic realm. And Paul right here in Romans 5 is telling us this is how sin entered the human realm. And it wasn't just because I was a co-sinner in Adam. That won't do. It isn't just because I personally and volitionally was sinning in Adam because I wasn't personally and volitionally sinning in Adam. I wasn't there. That realistic view really does not hold. In fact, as Charles Hodge wrote this very insightfully, a sin of which it is impossible that we should be conscious as our voluntary act can no more be the ground of punishment as our act than the sin of an idiot that is a mentally incapable person or a madman or of a corpse. He's right. And that's why so many unbelievers would have difficulty with that view and they would say, look, you're saying that a mentally incapable person, you're saying that a, a corpse, you're saying that, that a little baby who dies in infancy, that they are responsible for personal volitional choices in Adam when he sinned his first sin? I don't buy that. And that's why this view needs to be rejected. You say, well, at this point, please give me something. Well, how about the representative view? That's better. Here's the representative view. This is better. And as we close our time, I want to tell you what that is. It's, it's like the realist view in the sense that it says that we, in fact, were in Adam in that sense. Physically, yes. We had a biological connection, yes. There's a physiological descendancy, yes. No question about it. But it rejects that realistic view that says we were co-sinners in Adam. And it says this, the way we sin, because all sin, the sense of Romans 5.12d is this, that Adam was our representative head. That's, of course, why the very term is used, representative. Adam was our representative head. Not our realistic head in the sense that we sinned in him by our own personal and volitional choices, but he was our representative head. He made the choice for us as our human representative. He was the man, we might say. Every other man physically descended from Adam, and every man is in Adam, and we are all a part of the human race that Adam himself was the ultimate man, the Adam man And he is also our representative head. He was, in fact, the one to answer the question who stood for us and made the choice to sin or not to sin. That's also different from our sinning, isn't it? We are not called upon by God to be the representative head of the race. And for our sin, which we would choose, or our sin or our choice not to sin, that's not affecting the rest of creation. We're not the representative head of the race. He was. He represents us. We're both biologically and representatively in Adam. There's a solidarity to both aspects of that. We are solidly in Adam, and we sinned in Adam because as our representative, he sinned, and therefore we sinned. Well, aren't we responsible for our own sins? Yes, we are. We're responsible for our own personal sins, our volitional choices. But we are also sinners in 
Adam. It's what is true of our state of being, including within that state of being our own personal choices to sin. That's why when every single baby is born into this world, and as they continue to grow and mature, they will sin. That's the way it is. Every person as they grow into their toddler stage and into their teen years and into their adult years will in fact sin 100% of the time. Why? Because we live in a state of sin. And we sin also within that state ourselves personally. So there is a solidarity. There's no question about it. But that solidarity means that we are in Adam as the representative of the race causing sin to happen in our world, causing death, causing devastation, even affecting the entire creation, Paul says in Romans 8. And when we come along ourselves as individual persons born into this world, we pick up the very idea of the sinful state of being and then we start sinning ourselves personally and volitionally. And it's because he stood as that representative for us and when he made that choice, it affected all of us the whole human history of men and women. That's what Paul is talking about here. In fact, there's a very interesting passage. I want you to go to Joshua, Joshua 7. And I want you to see what God is talking about when He talks here about the solidarity issue, the solidarity principle. Even in the midst of affirming the judgment of God upon those who sin as individuals, the Bible does seem to indicate, at least in part, the principle of solidarity based upon this fascinating passage in Joshua 7. In the first part of Joshua 7, the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things or the things under the ban. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, some of the things under the ban. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Now, isn't that interesting? Who took the stuff, the devoted things? Who was it? Achan. Who was the Lord's anger burning against? Why wasn't the Lord's anger burning against Achan? Verse 2, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men went up there from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. The men of Ai killed the thirty-six of their men and chased them before the gate as far of as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent and the hearts of the people melted and became as water then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening he and the elders of Israel and they put dust on their heads and Joshua said alas o lord god why have you brought this people over the jordan at all to give us into the hands of the amorites to destroy us would that we have been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O oh Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? Why did the 
company of men lose? Why did 36 men die? God was displeased. There was something in the camp. There was sin in the camp. Verse 10, the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? And then that amazing verse. doesn't say Achan sinned, did it? Verse 11, who has sinned? Israel. You see, there's a solidarity. Oh, Achan was an individual within that group. But there's a solidarity there. Now you can see why Paul the Apostle can look at something like Romans 5.12 and tell us that all sinned in Adam. There's a solidarity here. Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. Who took it? Who's the they? The plural they is actually the singular him. Achan. Achan took it. They've stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Who did it? Achan. Therefore the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up! Concentrate the peop- consecrate the people and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord God, the Lord God of Israel, These are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. See, he let them lose in battle because there was sin in the camp and it was Achan and it was Achan's sin. But it was a sin for which in solidarity with the people of Israel, it was all of Israel's sin. Verse 15, And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, Because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. He that is Achan. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe. And the tribe of Judah was taken and he brought near the clans of Judah and the clans of the Zerites was taken and he brought near the clan of the Zerites man by man and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household man by man and Achan the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, to the tribe of Judah was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son... By the way, this is a great affirmation of how God can be glorified at least in one way. My son, give glory to the Lord of Israel and give praise to God. What is it? Confession of sin. That's one of the ways you can give glory to God, by confessing your sin. You might not always think of that, but that's a way you can glorify God, by confessing your sin. And what does Achan do? Joshua says, tell me now what you've done. Do not hide it from me. I mean, the whole of Israel is hinging on this. The whole of the future. That's what Joshua said. Are you going to wipe us out forever? What what are you going to do for your great name? We're, We're standing here, Lord, and we're trying to battle all of these enemies, and we're losing, and our men are dying. Well, what's going on? God says, because one man has sinned in the camp, And that sin has a solidarity with everybody else. And Achan answered Joshua, verse 20, Truly I've sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. By the way, it's also a great affirmation of not just confessing your sins, but articulating what it was you actually did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them. And took them 
And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. He hid it underneath, probably in the ground. I I put it in the ground. I put it where it couldn't be seen. Verse 22, so Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent. And behold, it was hidden in the tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. You say... His sin has to be paraded in front of all the people of Israel? There's a solidarity here. And they laid them down before the Lord. You see, they had transgressed. Achan had transgressed a clear command of God. Do not keep anything under the ban. Those are devoted things for other purposes and not your own. And Joshua, notice this, verse 24, amazing. And Joshua, with all Israel with him, took Achan the son of Zerah and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and daughters and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? Solidarity, the Lord brings trouble on you today, and all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them. Them? Who's them? They burned Achan. They burned the silver. They burned the cloak. They burned the bar of gold, and they burned his sons, and they burned his daughters, and they burned his oxen, and they burned his donkeys, and they burned his sheep, and they burned his tent, and they burned all that he had. And they raised over him a great great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor, which means trouble. All Israel has sinned. Achan has sinned. You know what the sense of Romans 5.12 is? Adam sinned. The whole human race has sinned. We're all deserving of it, every one of us. There's not one creature out here, not one person, not one living, breathing individual who can stand before God and say, not me, I didn't do it. That was Adam's sin, it wasn't mine. That that was Achan. Why did his wife have to die? His sons, his daughters, that's unfair. That's not right. They didn't do anything. The solidarity of Adam's sin is our sin. And if God wants to judge us anytime, anywhere, for any reason, He is perfectly just in doing so. You say, that's a sad message. It is because of sin. And you know what else? Death has spread to all men. 
And that death is deserved. You say, is that the way to end a message? It's a message of warning. It's a message of warning. But you know that God in His love and in His grace and in the wonder of the mystery of the cross said, I'll give out of the goodness of my own will and pleasure a remedy for that. And He gave us Jesus Christ. He killed His own Son. Isaiah 53. It pleased God to crush Him so that we might have a way out of this sin and death. Did He have to do it? No. Did He do it, according to Ephesians 1, out of His sheer mercy? Is it fair that Achan and his whole family was stoned to death and burned with those stones as a heap, as a reminder? Oh, yes. And every tsunami and every death and even the death of an infant and even the death of a mentally handicapped person and even the death of an able-bodied person with a good mind to make personal and volitional choices deserve to die because sin has entered our world. It's our state of being. And we sin with our own personal choices. And when we do, we have no one to blame. Not Adam. Not God. Not on a tsunami. But ourselves. And God says, I hold out an offer. Will you receive my son who I was pleased to crush so that you might have eternal life and not death. Have you received Christ? John 1.12, But to as many as received Him, to them He gave the authority to become children of God. The offer of Jesus Christ is open to anyone who would receive it. And so there is a warning... And there is a way. Which will you choose? Don't blame God. Don't blame Adam. Blame the evil, sin, and wickedness of this world and in your own hearts. And bow the knee to Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Oh, our Father... We are undone. We don't surely understand all of the implications of our death in Adam. But we do believe Your Word. Your Word tells us that Adam sinned and so we sinned. And that this ugly death has now infected us all. And even those who do not personally sin, death affects them too. 
And death affects those who do sin personally, volitionally. And sin affects our world, including our weather. Oh Lord, with all of this sin and devastation and destruction, we need a remedy. We need a cure. We we need a deliverance. And oh, we thank You, Lord, that You've provided it. You've provided it through the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, I pray for those here who don't know Christ, who don't love Christ, who don't have a relationship with Christ. Lord, I pray that You would open their hearts so that they might realize that their sin will forever separate them from You if not for Christ. I pray that You would cause them even now to repent, to turn, and to believe that Jesus is the only way. He's Your remedy He's your deliverance into the eternal kingdom. He's the way out of death and sin into life and holiness. Oh, if you're a believer here and you have resonated with the very fact of Scripture that Adam was indeed our representative, he was our head, and he sinned. And because of that, we all sinned. And now we sin of our own choices. And we deserve this death. But you, Christ, you've delivered us. You've you've given us life and not death. You've given us holiness and not sin. You've, You've dealt with it. And we are so grateful. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. I pray that you will encourage believers. Build them up on the true words of Scripture. On both the facts of sin and death and the faith of life in Christ. Oh yes, we have death in Adam. But oh, so much more we now have life in Christ. Lord, thank you for challenging our minds not allowing us to be lazy in our thinking, but to give us the truth, to ask the hard questions, and to rely on Your Word for the answers. Oh Lord, I pray that You would take us and make us more thankful Christians for life in Christ, and that You would bring unbelievers into Christ so that they might see life abundantly. Thank you for this hour. In Jesus' name, amen.